All right, what's up, guys? We are back with another podcast episode. Today, we are recapping a little bit of MLP. Both of us kind of loosely followed it over the weekend, but we also have a few paddle updates as well as a big article. Maybe not big. I don't know how many people actually saw it, but an article that was comparing data from rally scoring to traditional scoring. And I think there's actually a lot of really interesting things that people have made assumptions about that this article disproves. So, we're going to go over a bunch of that, but before we dive in, Will, we got mm-hmm. a comment to read. Do you want okay. to read it for us? <laughs> yeah, let's see. This comment is from, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, Yoin. <laughs> I had no Leaf. idea how to say it either. That's why I had you, <laughs> you read set it. Me up. You, know, you set me up for that <laughs> I so hard. Set you up. <laughs> I, I was either like, it's Ion, Eon, Yoin. <laughs> Eoin Leaf, Ion Leaf, whatever the name is, where okay. Will and I are not good at this. If y'all keep talking this honestly about paddles and companies, you're going to have to start every podcast with, if anything happens to us, just know we would never kill ourselves. (laughs) When I saw that, I thought that was so funny because the amount of people that have told me, dude, you better be careful. Like some of these companies are going to come after you. And this just made me chuckle when I saw it. I thought that was very funny. Well, this is more or less kind of true for you, you know, with your track record, at least with the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the, the the spin test that you're trying to do like way back a couple months ago that you didn't uh publish your findings to oh you mean the grit test yeah the grit test exactly yes but so here's the problem will you and i are kind of linked at the hip so i think people may just looking for me they may accidentally find you too so <laughs> you know what you're right i didn't even think about that so <laughs> we're gonna have to hear keep... from me it's because chris is in in the hot seat and i don't want anything to do with him anymore <laughs> <laughs> Will is now taking applications for another podcast. <laughs> you, maybe, maybe you could replace Thomas on Picklepod. You and Zane. <laughs> oh, me and Zane. Oh, that'd be a fun one. That would be fun. All right. Anyways, uh, before we dive into the main topic, we just have a couple random news updates. Uh, one, I wanted to talk about the Vulcan V570s. I've gotten a few questions about these. I just got them in the mail. The only thing I want to say, because I haven't actually hit them yet. All right, we're back. Uh, We were interrupted because I had a package delivered, which I can't really show you guys. I may have even shown you too much with my hand just there, so I'm going to have to blur (laughs) that out. But I got some prototypes of a paddle that I can't tell people about. But Will wanted me to talk about it on the podcast. I tried, guys. I tried for you guys out there. I tried. He he did try. He got a little... He got more out of me than I was going to. I was just going to resume what we were talking about, but... uh, yeah, we were interrupted by some packages. So we'll test okay. those later. We'll see if they're yeah, okay. good. Well, speaking of paddles, you were talking about, what was it? The Vulcans? The V570s. Yeah. <laughs> so people had questions about these because they claim to be the first raw fiberglass paddle, which as far as to my knowledge, that's not true with 6.0 existing. And then they also had the V570, the black one, which was carbon fiber, which I think people assume is Vulcan's attempt at a raw carbon fiber paddle. Anyways... All I did is I put them under a microscope just to check out the grit. I'm always curious what it looks like. And it's definitely not normal raw carbon fiber. And the raw fiberglass is not like six zeros. It looks a lot closer to... I haven't put an Encore under a microscope, but how it feels to the touch is much closer to an Encore, which is to say not anything super fancy. And then the carbon fiber one, it's not like the Franklin, but it reminds me of that. It's closer to a Franklin than it is 
a regular raw carbon fiber. It almost feels uh, glossy when you rub your hand on it. So huh. haven't hit them yet, but more than likely, if people were curious about spin, my assumption is that it it won't be very good. We'll see how they actually play. Uh, they do have exposed polymer in the handle, so it gets <laughs> two thumbs, yeah, thumbs down, down for me. That's that's come on. It's 2023. Every company knows better. I know they know better at this point. There's no excuse. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Uh, one other paddle update from me, and then if you have anything, will you can let me know. But I did get to hit the Icon V2 a tiny bit last night. I think it's. I only played one game with it, and I'm gonna get more probably for a first look. But I think it's definitively better than the first one. I got the uh, elongated one, and the swing weight is noticeably higher than the first one, so it would be a downgrade in terms of hand speed. But the paddle felt pretty good. Spin didn't uh, seem bad. It was kind of hard to get a gauge on it, but under a microscope, there's not a lot of grit on that face. It's like It looks like the Power Air grit, but just like three times less grit on the face. Mm. So my guess is that grit is going to be gone extremely quickly, so it's a little sad to see paint grit, but... Paddle felt good overall. So if you were curious about it, seems like a good paddle at first glance. Okay, nice, nice. Um, Let's see. My paddle endeavors right now have been uh, really just a lot of rec play. I've been playing a a lot with the 6.0 paddles, the 14-millimeter double black diamond, the 16-millimeter, the new Vatix, and uh, let's see, bread and butter's filth, and Zane's paddle, which you hated on you you dunked on real hard in your last review we we did dunk on it a little bit i gave it a caveat that i don't think it's a terrible paddle just it's questionable in today's market oh really but you feel otherwise i feel otherwise i think it's quite good aside from its terrible looks uh that's what we both agree on right there baby yes aside from its troubles i i actually like it a lot the more i played with it the more that i liked it and to me it is pretty much a Hyperion 14 millimeter. That's a little bit faster. Sure. In terms yeah. of hand speed? In terms of hand speed and, and swing weight. So I actually enjoy playing with it quite a bit. The more I play, it was one of those paddles. The more I played with it, the more I liked it. So that's, sure. yeah, that's being kept in my bag right now, uh, along with uh, the uh, Thermoform paddle from Ronbus, which is also very nice as well. Dude, yep. honestly, like good paddles are getting cheap. And cheap paddles are getting very good. And it's just interesting to see, you know, how the market's kind of uh, progressing. And I think as, you know, as more more paddles get more powerful, you're going to see a divergence where paddle manufacturers and companies will start making paddles that really sway heavily towards control. You know, you'll see like people to counteract the power will start opting for paddles that are just softer and better for control, at least at the rec level, I think. Yeah, I could I could see that for sure. Definitely, definitely be curious to see how it all continues to play out. Uh, All the, you know, all the thermoformed paddles have been pretty great. I would be curious to take the Hyperion 14 back out because when I played with it, I liked that paddle a lot. And Zane's paddle, I pretty much did not like immediately. So I'd like to hit both of those side by side and just see, because I imagine they do share a lot of similarities. I just feel like I remember the Hyperion being a little more plush, like the ball just felt better off the face and maybe the sweet spot was better. And Zane's, I just did not, I did not Hmm. care for the sweet spot, but. Move it on. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. All right. What do we got? Uh, Let's see. 
<laughs> Speaking of paddles, whoever can guess how many paddles that Chris has gets a free shirt. At least that's what we put on these show notes. So is that true or are you just you baiting people? What's going on? You know, I, I did put that in the show notes and I forgot to take that out. But you know what? It was there <laughs> when you got to it. So I guess we're going to... I was like, oh, let's just play a fun game. Whoever can guess how many paddles I have, they can win a free 3.5 at best shirt. Okay. I actually don't know how many paddles I have right now. <laughs> you mean you don't have like a crazy spreadsheet that just, you know, that's archived and <laughs> I don't know. I should do that. That would actually be kind of fun. Right. How many, how many do you think I have? Oh, <laughs> uh, well over like 120. What, what's your final guess? Okay, okay, okay. My final guess, I, I think you have around 120 six paddles there we go 126 okay all right i won't say my number so it doesn't sway people's opinions in the comments but yes <sighs> we'll leave a comment whoever gets it or is closest i will send you a free 3.5 at best shirt so that uh you can you can have fun with my mistake for not removing that from the show notes but wait so is this a comments on the youtube yes video? comment okay. on youtube yes okay. thank okay. you for clarifying that will <laughs> yes leave a comment on the youtube video and we'll see who uh who gets closest all right. <laughs> all right moving on real quick uh we just have some stuff from mlp i want to go over briefly like i said will and i were kind of off and on with it i tried to watch it over the weekend but i was in kansas and i didn't just get to sit down and you know watch matches all day long to be honest it's hard to watch matches all day long but there were a couple notable things i wanted to talk about first of all that fives semifinal match, the women's. Did you get to watch any of that clip I sent you yeah, or no? I, I actually, that was actually one of the few matches that I was able to get to watch. And Dude. yeah, it was so good. And 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 when I was watching it, I actually messaged uh, Richie, uh, one of the owners from BLQK. Yeah. And I was like, hey, man, looks like your team's doing a lot better than my previous predictions from last <laughs> pod. And he gave me a thumbs up. And he was like, it's because we didn't have Maggie last time. That's why. But yeah, I told you, Will. I told you. And I was like, Wait, did they right? have an alternate last time? I at the last MLP? I can't quite remember, to be quite honest with you. Was there, I, was there a trade? No, I don't. I don't think any trades happened at the premier level that I was aware of. Maybe they had an alternate. I, I it's possible that she just wasn't there. Actually, I think that might be the case. I, I think, think she, she was gone. So it dude, that women's match, probably some of the best pickleball I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. The drama, the the facial, the intensity, the energy, and dude, the rallies were pretty long. Yeah. I the just to me what was amazing is the score was so tight. So, okay, I will leave a link in the show notes for you guys to go watch this match. It's really the last 10 minutes or so that when things really picked up about when they hit 2020. But so many match point saves, so much energy, the points, some of the longest points I've seen, they're just clobbering balls back and forth. Super entertaining. But the one thing I did take note of, and I'd be curious to hear both their opinions, but dude, Anna Lee was coming over with her backhand and literally pushing... Leia off the court. There were so many times where Leia was literally outside of the lines of the yeah, court. I saw that she kind of just, you know, was trying to take over. And uh, I would say, did you think that? Well, obviously they lost, so I guess they. You wouldn't say that they succeeded, but well, how did you feel about that play? I don't know if it was necessarily wrong. You know, they might have both felt okay with it, but I think the biggest thing that I noticed 
is it seemed like Leia didn't know what balls she was supposed to take. It felt like she knew Annalie was going to come over and take stuff, but she didn't know how far. So sometimes a ball would kind of go in the middle-ish, and then Annalie would back off, and then Leia kind of looked surprised, like, oh, I'm supposed to take this ball. So it just seemed that was there was confusion over who was supposed to take balls. And Leia's such an aggressive player that I think it's weird for her to be in a role that's like, hey, you're on the left side, but get out of my way. Let me hit more of these balls. Yeah, they definitely let some balls go, and they lost some rallies because of it. I saw, especially on defense and sometimes yeah. in the back, you know. Um, I think the way that Annalie's mind is working in some of those those points in those rallies, especially when they're on defense, because she likes, so Annalie likes to hover around, I guess what we call like no man's land, you know, in between the baseline and the kitchen line, because she's so fast with it and it gives her time to react to see where the ball is coming. And then she kind of poaches over. So I think she was expecting um, uh, Leah to defend the ball, hit the ball back. And then she has enough time to kind of read the situation and then poach and attack and counter punch, you know, if she saw like the the right opportunity and maybe Leo just wasn't ready for that some of the times and you know that lost some rallies for them yeah either way definitely go check it out because it's extremely impressive pickleball highly entertaining obviously there's a lot of energy at MLP it was very well worth watching and when it happened it was just it was like a nail biter you had no idea who was going to win this thing yeah it's very worth watching. Yeah, I, I have a question. How did you feel about um, Mr. Stone commentating for MLP? Fine for the most part. I think my biggest thing with commentating lately has been, and I was actually talking to my brother about this, there's a really weird balance where you have a lot of people who are probably new-ish to the sport, and there's a lot of things they don't know, and then you have people like us who know enough about the game to where you don't need basic things explained to you. And when I'm listening to the commentating, most of the time I feel like I'm just hearing things that feel very obvious or like I don't need explaining to me like it, it'll be something like, well, what do you think about that cross court backhand dink right there? And it's like, OK, it's one shot. Like you really don't have a lot to say about this one shot. And it kind of feels like they have to make up some uh, impressive reason why that shot was hit. From my side of things, what did you think? I think he's a good commentator. I just yeah, think I, there's too many rudimentary things. No, I, I enjoy Adam being on the mic. You know, he's a soothing kind of voice. You know, show sh- he does have a good to, voice for it. Shout out to Mr. Stone, and uh, yeah, I can kind of agree with you uh, about things being rudimentary. I think there can be a better balance because you need a balance. Yeah. Uh, the like newcomers and the veterans of the game, yep. and you know, to see what you like to hear or whatnot. And I don't know, sometimes the rudimentary stuff is kind of funny because then like people like you and me, they can sound off in the comments, they complain about the commentating and it's, I don't know, I, I get a lot of enjoyment <laughs> seeing the comments on the commentary of yeah. the matches. I think that's hilarious, you know. No, for sure. I, I do, I'd love to see, okay, Adam Stone has been a professional player, but in the past, Leia Jansen has done some commentating, and everyone's always loved it. Like They're like, bring her back. She was amazing. And from what I recall, there's just a lot of insights to each player and tendencies they have, and that, to me, feels like what's missing from the current commentating. You have some people 
who have played pro, some who haven't, and they just observe the game. And I think it's a lot more interesting when you can say stuff like, this player tends to speed up off the bounce and is clearly aiming at this hip all the time, and this person's clearly reading it. And just, I feel like there's a lot of different ways it can be expanded upon. I think commentating will hopefully continue to get better and better. But the voices are good. Yeah, you know what we should do? We should go to some rec courts and just bring microphones and speakers just commentate some random rec games <laughs> Wait, i don't Chris. think that would end well for us i really don't think that would end well <laughs> i'd be for it if you guys ever see me out there and you want to come and commentate some of my matches out there even if i'm recording i think it'd be hilarious <laughs> i mean that would be funny i would love to see how people would commentate one of my games at a tournament if they just had the camera mic close to them or something that would be funny uh, no there was somebody when i was playing at lifetime there was one of the workers who came and just stopped watching while i was playing and uh i didn't use this clip because he kind of st- stopped and he said i don't know he, he used some curse words or whatnot and i was like okay sure. i can't use this but he was commentating like behind my camera and he doesn't know nothing about pickleball. And I just thought it was hilarious. Was, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about this game. But dude in pink hat just totally ripped this ball like he was sending off into outer space and it didn't go in. Oh, sad. What just happened? I don't know. Just, so was, wait, he didn't, he doesn't know you. No, he doesn't know. He just, he just started came. talking to the camera. Yeah, exactly. It was hilarious. That's I thought it was funny. so funny. Okay. That's actually kind of funny. I thought it was someone who knew you. No, nobody knew me. Oh, that's honestly better than in that case. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, the other thing from MLP that I thought was super interesting, I had some inside information from someone who was at MLP give me this. So I can't confirm it as 100% fact, but they were at the court when it happened. So Pablo Tejas got a blue card, uh, which is, I don't remember exactly how the cards work. I it's warning blue, orange, I believe. As or- and orange is like lose a point, is it? I believe so. We can pull it up. I'm not sure either way you can pull that up while I'm telling the story. But so he gets a blue card because he apparently told a spectator to F off. But the (laughs) spectator, what caused him to do that was apparently he said to Pablo, you're effing terrible at this game, which is crazy because they didn't drop a match the whole tournament. That fan was ejected supposedly from the stands for that. No way. Apparently, the audience was pretty rowdy at this MLP. There was a lot of talking. Maybe not a lot, but I heard there was talking during points. Some players didn't appreciate that. And then I just thought it was funny that Pablo, of all people, was the one to get that I thought the players liked all this talk in the audience. No? I think some do, some don't. I think talking during a point, again, I think it goes back to what other players have said. For the most part, it's usually quiet during the point. There's not direct talking. It seemed there may have been more pointed talking during the point and maybe add a player or something, which if you don't hear a lot of that is going to be difficult to cope with versus just if it's loud, you know, the entire match, which I think it, you know, it always quiets down a little bit for the point. Yeah, I don't remember uh, a lot about the rule changes. And I, I remember reading up on all I remember was a video posted up by somebody and it was with James. He's like, dude, I want to be the first person to get an orange card in all of pickleball. <laughs> and I was like, that's so James. <laughs> I did see that clip and it was very funny to see James talking about that. Because the way he was saying it was, 
you could just tell he really wanted it. Clearly, yeah. he didn't go through with it because I didn't hear him get one. No, so it's unfortunate. But here we go. I found a quick little excerpt. Blue and orange cards. MLP is implementing a soccer style blue and orange card system for on-court conduct. A blue card is similar to a yellow card representing a technical warning. An orange card results in a loss of point. Cards can be given okay. for unsportsmanlike conduct, which can include excessive taunting, profanity, verbal abuse of an official, player, or fan, time-wasting excessive arguing with officials in violation of the kitchen-slash-court boundaries that have, that have been implemented. A referee may go straight to an orange card if the offense is egregious in the ref's discretion. You know what's crazy? So the point where Pablo gets that blue card... Brandon French and Jill Braverman were taunting the crap out of Pablo and his opponent. And I think I heard people talk about this a bunch this weekend, how much they were taunting. It was just a bunch of trash talk. You know, a ball is out by a couple inches and they're going stuff like, oh, it's way out. It's like, oh, it's out. It's out. It's out. And then they just keep like taunting on and on. So I thought it was funny that Pablo gets the blue card, but they get five minutes of taunting and there's no card. I just, I know. I'm sure the refs aren't used to giving it yet. But. Double standards. Well, you know, you got to give Jill Braverman a break because of all the falling she did this past MLP. <laughs> and that was the highlight of this MLP, to be quite honest with you. And the fact that <laughs> she came on the next day on court <laughs> out of after the memes hit in bubble wrap. I'm I'm very sad she didn't play in the bubble wrap. I really wanted to see that. At least just That's how you win point. some fans, though. For all of you who don't know, Jill Braverman is in the Challenger League. And there's on memes of pickleball on Instagram, if you go check it out, We've talked about them before. Just go check them out if you haven't already. There's such funny memes of her getting hurt or falling at MLP. I have never seen a more uncoordinated pro in my life. She's just <laughs> on the ground every other point. Yeah, it's, it was pretty it's, bad. Yeah, it's crazy. Just go watch it. But then the next day she showed up in bubble wrap. It was very funny. You have to see it to believe it. It's hard to just explain without you seeing it, but it's... <laughs> Yeah, she was falling all over the place. All right. Well, before we get into who won this thing, yeah, we gotta t- we gotta talk about poor Zane. Oh. <laughs> we make fun of we make fun of the guy a lot. You gotta give him a break every now and then. His team got dead last again, but not by a little bit, by like a lot. Yes. Yeah. Taunting like <laughs> they were net like negative nine games. Or something. No. And when I looked at the score lines of some of their games, they were really rough. Like 10 to 21. There might have been an 8 to 21, a 12 to 21. Like some of their game losses were pretty bad. So I'll be shocked if there is not a trade made for this next MLP because two tournaments you get dead last by a good margin. I'd say it's time to change something up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I didn't watch any of their matches. I felt. When I saw that too, I was like, "Ooh, this this is not good." I wonder what it is, though. I wonder. I'd like what... to know too. Is or, or, it chemistry? Is it players yeah. not playing well? Is it probably a combination of both? Like, what is it? I don't know. We should ask Zane. We should ask him. He'll probably, hopefully, he'll talk about it on this. I'm not going to talk about them. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, he'll just text us and let us know, and we can tell you guys why. <laughs> But but yes, poor Zane. I I all kidding sarcasm aside, I am actually sad to see him in dead last because he he was doing so well last year. You know, he obviously had a great team. So I'd like to see him. I don't want to see him go to the Challenger League because I think you and I both know 
Zane does not belong in that league. No, he's and plus he's too funny. There's too too many potential memes of him for him to be in the challenge. Not to say that you couldn't create some in the challenger league, but yeah, for sure. I don't for know sure. him going to the challenger league might be a meme in itself. <laughs> that would definitely be a meme, but it would be a sad meme. I would I would shed a single tear if you went one. there. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Zane on yes. the bottom. <laughs> All right, real quick, we're just gonna recap who won this thing. Seattle Pioneers, they won gold. That's Ben Johns, Megan Dazan, Etta Wright, and Tyler Lung. Everyone pretty much said universally Megan Dazan picked it up a ton from Mesa. I didn't get to see a ton of her games, just a few here and there. It did seem like she was playing a lot better, so congrats to her. And then Challenger League, the Bay Area Breakers won without dropping a single match, and that's Christian Alshon, Pablo Tejas, Rachel Summers, and... I don't know how to say her name. Iwa Radzowski? I don't know. Radzikowska. Something, yeah, that's definitely closer than what I said. Oh, we tried. Sorry. Someone in the comments let us know how bad we said that. But yeah, Bay Area Breakers, clearly they are a premier level team, or at least some of them should be in the Premier League because not dropping a single match is a pretty convincing win. So Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah, I don't have uh, much more in terms of the MLP stuff. You got anything you wanted to go over before we move on? Uh, Christian Alshan doing the big choke, <laughs> the choke meme. <laughs> Do you see that again? Yes, I did. That was so bad. Uh... That was so bad. For context, everyone, Daniel De La Rosa, it was game point or match point. I don't know which. He goes up for an easy overhead and just shanks it, and it hits the back wall. It's way out. Not even close. And Christian, yeah, not even close. Christian starts walking up, acting like he's choking on something to just signify, oh, Daniel De La Rosa just choked so badly. And I was like, dude, he's right there. You can't do that. Everybody did. Yeah, he sure did. I whew, There's definitely a level. I Personally, I like the banter more than I don't like it. But sometimes I'm like, ooh, ooh, man, he's right there. I'm like, you don't got to <laughs> end the guy's life. He's right there. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was funny. But yeah, those are the results from MLP that were were notable. All right, well. Yep. You ready for this big We've talked about this before, but now we have actual data. Yes. Rally scoring versus traditional scoring. Real clear stats who have been statting all of the major league pickleballs came out with an article with all of their data from M- the last two MLPs, I believe. And then a handful of PPA games, and there were a lot of interesting results that came out in this, and it's not what I think most people believe when they think of traditional scoring or rally scoring. How much of this did you get to read, Will? I read all of it. I read all of it twice, but I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I didn't take stats in school, so a lot of it <laughs> kind of went over my head, but you know, we'll, we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty detail, but the short of it is, after reading the article twice, uh, there's not much difference is what I I got from traditional scoring and rally scoring, at least the advantages and disadvantages for like being the better team and the less better team being able to come back and beat better teams, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yep. I think the main thing that I took away was that uh, rally scoring is at least from this, the data from this article, obviously, you know, we can't just go by one piece for uh, sure, you know, yeah, one one article for for context. There needs to be more research being done, but uh, rally scoring 
is is better <laughs> that's that's what i got like from this in almost yeah. all aspects yeah it's it we'll we'll go over it so people can understand because i'm sure people are already shaking their fist in their car going these morons yeah. are saying rally scoring's better but the first the article outlines a lot of stuff we'll leave it in the show notes so you can read it if you want you will probably have to read it a couple times cuz i sure had to read it a couple times to make sure i fully comprehended it but the first thing is are rally games to 21 longer or shorter than traditional games to 11 and by how much and on average Game lengths in rallies is almost completely identical. Rally scoring was 40.38 rallies per game, and traditional was 41.07 rallies per game. So near identical, but where it gets more interesting is they talked about the volatility uh, in terms of, you know, can one of, on average, who has more rallies or who is more sporadic and unpredictable and it was traditional scoring was less predictable, which I think we all knew uh, yeah. that rally scoring was more predictable. But I believe they said, uh, did I write it down? Oh, I actually don't think I wrote the percentage, but I think it was something like traditional games were 44% more volatile or less yeah. predictable. It's 44.32% more vo volatile in terms of the what they say, the standard deviation, which I think what that means is that the so we're, we're talking about averages of the game length right and the game length on average is the same but i think it's because inside out scoring or traditional scoring you have some games that are, are outliers that take a really long time and there are some games that take less time so when you average them out you know you you get it to a certain length whereas rally scoring it is less volatile meaning that the, it's more consistent. Yeah, it's more consistent. Exactly. The game length consistency is better in rally scoring, which makes it more predictable, which is what we kind of knew or what we anecdotally knew. Yep. I would say that part was pretty much on point with what everyone expected. You know, rally scoring is quicker, more predictable. Uh, but the only caveat to that is it was a hundred let me find it. 173 MLP games that were analyzed and only 46 PPA games. So there is less data on the PPA game. So I'm sure with more data, it could look different. My hunch is that I think the potential variance for traditional scoring might actually increase. I don't know that for a fact, but that's just my initial assumption off that. So just keep that in mind for that specific stat. There were less PPA games analyzed, but overall... That was the first thing that it confirmed, which was, you know, we knew that, but good to see either way, data confirming it. Yeah. The next one was the first team to achieve a game point is winning 91.3% of the time in traditional scoring. So if you get to 10, 91% of the time that, or at least for the pros, 91% of the time that team is winning the game if they hit game point first. For uh, rally scoring, 91.33% of the time that team is winning in rally scoring, which what that debunks is everyone has complained about the comeback mechanic in Major League Pickleball. People are mad that when you get to 20, you're frozen and they can come up all the way back to 18 and they don't think it's fair. You're basically getting punished. But the statistics are showing with 173 games analyzed that 91% of the time that team is still winning the game. I thought yeah. that was really interesting. No, I thought that was also very interesting as well. But obviously, we don't have 
enough data to back this up over a long periods of time, right? There needs to be more data to really like say that this is proof, you know, that this happens. But I don't know. Do you do you agree with the data right here? Is this kind of like your your personal experience? Does it does it back up? Does it is it backed up by this data? Is what I'm asking. I don't know that I have noticed either way, just because I haven't played enough rally scoring games where I've been thinking about, oh, I got to game point. Am I going to win? I don't think I would have had an opinion on that either way, but I do think it's just a great statistic to see because even while 173 games, that's not a massive data set. That's still enough to me where if they're identical numbers, they're both 91%, that's pretty darn convincing that that is not nearly as big of an issue as people believed it was with the comeback mechanic built in. Yeah, no, I agree. I still don't necessarily like the freeze at... Sure you know, 18 and 20, or maybe just have one freeze or no freezes. I think, what do you think the game would be like if there was no freezes? Would that be better or worse? Well, I guess in theory, the team that's coming back would just have a lower, on average, I'm guessing would have a lower score when they finish. Mm -hmm. But it, it doesn't seem like it would change the outcome. The comeback mechanic in theory makes it a little easier for someone to come back and win, but still 91% of the time, the other team's winning. So I don't think it would make a a massive difference, at least with the stats we have now. Maybe yeah. it would play out different in reality. So I think I think it's good because now everyone's whole argument about, well, MLP is artificially making the scores close. Eh, maybe, but it doesn't seem to be hurting anything. Like, you know, if, if they said 60% of the time the team who gets to match or game point first wins... Now I might start going, okay, that's not yeah, a big enough. Much. Yeah, that's too much. You could probably make an argument that the uh, freezing is causing that, but that's not the data we have there. So Yeah, but this is just MLP though. Like, do you think, I, I'm curious, you know, for you guys in the audience, have you guys tried playing rally scoring, at least in MLP style? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Have you even tried it? You know, I know you've been a proponent that you should try it at least, you know, 10 games with people that you enjoy playing with to see if you really like it or not. And I don't really see it, at least on public course and rec games, where rally scoring is kind of taking hold. For sure. Know, or being adopted. I yeah. I don't see it being adopted anywhere unless they're prepping for a, you know, a, a major league or minor league pickleball event because why would you? But I think I still believe it's not nearly as bad as people think. I think there's a lot of people who are making assumptions about how bad it is. And I think if they tried it, it wouldn't be that bad. That doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that are more appealing about the other one. But I think people, if you took a poll, it would be something crazy where it's like, you know, 90% hate it. But I think if everyone played it quite a bit, I think you would level it out. And I don't know that it would be close to 50-50, but I think you'd have more people go, eh, honestly, this is fine. I just think it's one of those things, change is difficult, right? When you're used yeah. to something, you don't want to change it. And I think that's ultimately what most of this debate is. I, I think I think it'll be adopted more. I'm seeing, at least I don't know about in your area, but in my area, I've been seeing a lot of just uh, city organizations are doing more uh, team style events, whether, yeah. you know, the teams are for 
uh, you know, duper 16, 18, 20, et cetera, et cetera. At least, uh, you know, I mean, look, look at uh, in Phoenix, in Arizona, they have like a little inner city, like team uh, matches going on at the orchard. And I think it's, I think that's pretty cool. Like, you know, to have yeah. something between cities or within your state or whatnot. And I'm seeing a lot more here in Oklahoma, Kansas as well. There's a lot of like people traveling to and from different cities and playing. And I don't know, maybe that, will be the thing that helps rally scoring be adopted more. But I don't think side-out scoring and traditional scoring is going anywhere. It's it's definitely going to be here to stay for a very long time, in my opinion. Define a long time. A long time. Like, people are going to still playing rec with it for, I think, in still within, like, the next 10 years. Like Really? Yeah. Ooh. I don't know if I'd take that bet. I I could see in five years traditional scoring being gone. You, th- you think so? I, I don't know that I would take a bet and say, oh, yeah, for sure it's gone in five years. But I think with an article like this coming out with the stats that it has, I think it makes extremely compelling arguments for why it should be changed. And I don't let's say all the tournaments switched. I don't think many other things would stay traditional, right? Because it becomes confusing then. It's you go when someone's learning, they go well, wait, I saw this rally scoring thing on TV, but now there's traditional scoring here. I think eventually if the tournament switch, everyone ports over. And, you know, you might have some uh, like diehard fans of traditional scoring that still want to play that way. But man, 10 years, I don't know. I really, I would have a hard time imagining that we're still still on traditional. Yeah, an episode, you know, of the podcast episode, whatever that is, 5,000, you know, 124, <laughs> you know, we'll touch back on this topic and see where we're at. In those 10 yeah, I'll years. have an intern clip this and see see how it looks in 10 years. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, well, I do want to read a quote because it was about that last stat that we just read. Mm-hmm. And it says, given the first team, uh, yeah, given the first team to game point wins 91.3% of games in both formats, it begs the question, why then does it seem MLP events are riddled with surprising upsets, which I think a lot of people agree with. Believe it or not, the upsets have almost nothing to do with the format. The main reason is that only one game is played instead of best of three match. Even the best teams routinely drop a game here or there on their way to the podium. Those losses are easy to ignore since those teams are very rarely losing best of three matches. And I think that's a great point, right? Because in one of the last PPA tournaments, uh, you know, Ben has lost games or Ben and Colin have lost games to other teams, but you, they always win. So you go, oh yeah, it was fine. But in MLP, if they won one game, the other team, you're like, holy crap, this format is like rigged. They make it way too easy for another team to win. So I thought that was a really good point of the article talking, something that I think people would have overlooked if they didn't mention. No, that makes sense. I don't think we'll have clear comparisons to make unless PPA has an event that utilizes rally scoring, maybe like a best of three rally scoring scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see that too. Mm -hmm. Me too. I would love to see how that all shakes up and see if the result, I think the results there would be telling if rally scoring is, you know, more beneficial to the underdogs or, you know, or if it benefits the stronger team or the weaker team. Yep. For sure. Uh, Next up was T 
teams still have to win on their serve more often than not. So another thing that people have argued uh, rally scoring against traditional scoring is saying, well, in rally scoring, it's the receiving team has way too big of an advantage. They are already at the net. They don't have to hit a third, yada, yada, yada. As far as the pros go, they are still winning more points on their serve than they are on a side out. So the winning teams in MLP on average are winning nearly 11 points on their serve while the losing teams are getting six. So it's about 11 points they're winning on their serve and then about 10 not on their serve. And then the losing team is only getting about six points on their serve. So no matter how you look at it, the team that's serving is still getting more points off the serve than they aren't. And uh, this stat said, how often did a team win with fewer on-serve points than their opponent, and the answer in 173 games was never. There has never been a game so far in the last two MLPs where someone won more points not on their serve than they did on their serve, and I thought that was very telling for that stat. I mean, yes and and no, I guess, because if you're the winning team at the end of the day, right, you're supposed mm-hmm. to be serving more. So it makes sense that you're winning your serves more because if you're winning more points, then you have the ball more. So you should be serving more. So I feel like, of course, the winning team always has to serve more. It doesn't make sense that the losing team... Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like that's that's never going to be the case, right? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the biggest argument was just that people make it sound like the receiving team has such a massive advantage over the serving team that they should be. I don't know if anyone has ever outright said, oh yeah, the receiving team is just going to win more. But the argument has been, it's just too hard for the serving team now. They're at such a huge disadvantage when they serve. And it doesn't really feel like it. No, yeah, it, it no, it doesn't. Unless you're able to receive like the whole entire like match, the entire, whole yeah, exactly, the whole entire game. Then I could see it being an advantage but obviously if you're returning and you win that rally or you win that point then you have to serve so you have to serve again right? exactly so it doesn't i don't know that's eh, it doesn't sure. make that much of a difference in my opinion just because yeah you still have to serve no matter what right i would like to see that stat that would be kind of cool if they did a whole game this is probably never going to happen but a whole game where one team serves the entire time and then you, let's say you did 50 games and you yeah. kept swapping back and forth who was serving, who wasn't for an entire game. I'd like to see the stats on that one. Yeah, so that'd be m- more like uh, kind of like tennis, you could say, like the games, because yeah. you, know, you you flip-flop between a whole game where one player, one team serves, and then one team or one player receives that entirety of that game. That's why having a like a break in tennis is such a big deal because serving is such an advantage. And if you were able to adopt that a little bit somehow in pickleball that could really showcase the skills of really good servers and skills of really good returners. And, you know, I think the data would be more telling in that regard right now, because, you know, the serving returning is all in one game in itself. And especially in MLP, you only get to play one game, right? Yeah. Technically, uh, you know, it's not best out of three. So you don't have enough consistency and data to tell between, each game and matches because you don't play enough, right? So that, yeah, eh. it would be interesting. This is probably further than I would personally want to go with it. But what if you did something similar to table tennis where maybe every four serves you switched instead of 
every point. It's like you just had to serve four in a row, and then you gave the ball back to them to do four serves. Yeah, I I would like to see something like that just to try it out. That'd be interesting. All these different formats, you know, would be kind of cool yeah. to see and experiment with. But you know, people are gonna complain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. When I said that, it definitely does. That does not sound super appealing in my mind. Also, I'm imagining people losing track of what serve they were on. You know, I did. We did. Was that the third serve? Was that the fourth? Was that the second? No, I could. I don't think so. You don't, don't think, think so? No, as long as you don't keep, as long as long as you don't have that third number of like which server it is, which server it is. Like, you yeah. know, if it's the first server, or the second server, you just tally up the the points and you'll know. Like you'll yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, in table tennis, once you you add up the points and you see how many servers people have, yeah, like, odd you, even. Yeah, odd even. It's it's honestly really easy. A lot easier than traditional side hot scoring in pickleball. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting either way. Uh, well, that was pretty much the stats article, but I seriously, guys, you should go read it yourself. There might have been a couple other things, small things in there that they mentioned that we didn't, but it's, it's a great write-up. While I don't think it's definitive proof in every regard that rally scoring is better, I think it was very cool to see data on something that we didn't have data for, and it's possible that for amateurs, the variance would be much larger, Right. You know, maybe in the amateur world where people are more consistent and a third shot drop is much harder for them than a pro, eh, maybe the arguments do stand. We won't really know until there's more data, but I did, they wanted to point out, or in the article they pointed out, here are the benefits you gain of doing rally scoring versus traditional. And considering that all things, according to this article, are essentially equal between them, you're only gaining advantages with rally scoring, which were games are more predictable length, no server number, no stacking, complication, and confusion. We're going to come back to that in a second. Okay. No long droughts without, or sorry, no long droughts without a change in the score, which equals more entertainment, and then fewer missed appointments because your one more rec game took 45 minutes. That's definitely true. Some rec games go very long. But I wanted to come back to the no stacking and get your thought on this, Will, because I played some more MLP games this past weekend. I was helping some friends get ready for uh, a minor league event. I will say, as much as I haven't cared about, oh, I'm only serving to the same person an entire game, for some reason this last time, I was more like, huh, it would be nice to serve from the other side. Or it makes the game more dynamic when you have to play both sides a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what we talked about previously in past episodes where I would like to see... Uh, you know, you still keep the rally scoring, but having the server switch like each side right. after they win or something like that, just to you know freshen things up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it just makes it more interesting. And uh, yeah, because yeah, you're forced to choose: do you want to stack? Do you risk the switch? And it makes people have to be more versatile rather than oh, I'm I always play the left, so I don't even have to worry about playing the right because I I literally never have to do it. Whereas mm-hmm. at least in traditional, you you have to think about it kind of yeah 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 yeah. i totally agree with that yeah i want to see more of it if we do continue with rally scoring like we said before it's not perfect i think yeah. there's there's some tweaks that still can be made to make it more enjoyable to watch and enjoyable to play but yep yeah i it think needs, it needs to be changed a little bit tweaked a little bit i do think we're not on the final version of if we settled on something i don't think this format is the one we would settle on i think there would be 
there's a variation in the future that we would be more close to landing on. But I think given many of the benefits that rally scoring provides, especially, you know, how many times have you been in a game where you get stuck? It's 3-3 and no one can get off 3-3. This literally happened to me the other day. You're just stuck at 3-3 or whatever number forever and no one's moving. For pro TV games, that's extremely boring. No one wants to watch this insane hands battle, 50, 60 shots, and then, oh, no one scored a point. Yeah, well, that's come cool. out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's more on the line when there's always a point up for grabs. So, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add on that? No, no I, I don't. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I don't know. Let us know in the comments what you guys think of it. You know, I, again, there's still more to be done, but I really thought this made some compelling arguments that made me go, hmm, well, that's not what I thought before, but I'm kind of on board with it. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. You can all hate stuff. comments now. Yeah, there'll probably be some comments that are a little upset, but that's okay. We we I you know, I like hearing when other people have different opinions. It's it's fun to hear about. All right. Um what do we got next? Oh, well, now less MLP stuff and more about our own pickleball personal pickleball journeys. So, I know you've been waking up pretty early to drill every day. You would make Jordan Briones very very proud. So how's that been going? Have you been improve? Have you been improving or <laughs> noticeable so, differences? I haven't gotten up every day. My goal right now is three times a week, or at at minimum two times a week. But my ideal would be three times a week at six a.m. to eight a.m. And the the reason I love that time block is one, that's the earliest I can get into lifetime to drill, and two. I, I get up early, and then when I finish, I don't feel that I threw away my work day. You know, when I get home at maybe 8.30 or closer to 9, I can take a shower and still feel that I have regular working hours to go off of versus if I start at 8 and finish at 10, it throws a giant wrench in my entire day. I just don't want to work when I get home from that. So early works great for me. Nice. I yeah. have to find, I don't know find somebody to drill with me that early here in my city but also find a place that i can go to to drill like that early and i don't even know if i can wake up lifetime man (laughs) lifetime's where it's at i should go hit up my buddy james at lifetime to see how early i could potentially get in oh here's here's a random thought so i've been playing quite a bit i've been playing at this uh place called the tulsa athletic club here and in tulsa is kind of like a a bar slash like hangout spot. There's some live music and stuff going on. And I really like the color of their courts. It's like this teal in the back and in the kitchen area, it's kind of like this lightish grayish color. And randomly, what do you think about court colors? Like what is your favorite? Do you have preferences? Do you not care? Like what is the coolest colors you've seen? I don't think I care as long as everything isn't one solid color. I think the masters, everything's green and the lines are just white. That is kind of trippy and I don't love that. I can't think of any I've seen that I thought were terrible, but I have definitely seen some that I went, huh, that's actually a pretty good looking color scheme because I can't remember, was Briones's like brown and red or am I remembering that wrong? To be honest with you, I don't quite remember all i can say is that when 
Selkirk did the Selkirk Lab showdown, and it's like that red, like the red yeah. and black. Not yeah. a fan. <laughs> Not a fan of no, the No, you red didn't like that, really. No. You like that? Oh. I'd have to see it again, but I, from what I remember, I don't think I hated it. I mean, as a color scheme, red and black always looks good together, but on the court, for whatever reason, it's just, I don't know, something about it is unsettling to me. I prefer the cooler colors, blue, green. I do always want some sort of differentiating color between the uh, no volley zone and the rest of the court. I typically like the no volley zone to be a lighter shade than the rest Mm -hmm. of the the court. Um, I, and I don't know why, but this just came, this just came up to my mind. One time you had a photo of a court and you sent it to me. You're like, Will, what color is this? And you're like, is this purple or is this, what was it, blue? And I was like, dude, that's purple. Pink, I think. Oh, pink, pink. Yes. And I was like, dude, that's purple or that's violet. That's what it is. And your wife was like, dude, you're colorblind. <laughs> so, for everyone, I might see if I can find a picture and flash it on screen. But this facility opened in Minnesota and someone in a group chat of ours said something about the court color and i went and looked and i was like that's pink it's like everyone's out of their mind and then my wife looks and she's like are you crazy she's like that's purple so we got in this whole argument and then i was sending it to will and a bunch of other people and unfortunately everyone told me that i'm wrong but i am colorblind so i will i will uh leave that to you guys okay yeah i'll concede but i still (laughs) i still think i'm at least a little bit right okay all right true what what color do you think looks best in contrast with the ball. I think that's why people like <sighs> green and like blue. Yeah. I don't know what I would say is best. Again, it's one of those things where when I'm on the court, I can tell you, but it's really hard for me to think of a a color combo. I mean, I feel that the ones I've seen where it's just green and a light gray, I've never had an issue with those. Or, you know, a slightly darker blue for the main court and then maybe a different color for the kitchen. I think those have always been fine. But I, I'm not normally one to complain about the court color too much. As long as there's no cracks in the court, it's surfaced real nice, not as slick. There's yeah. enough space and there's between. space for ATPs. Yeah, yeah. And... I think it's the space, the space that gets. Speaking of space, did you hear that New York City is opening up, I think, like 14 courts in the uh, woman ice skating rink? I That's did hear about Central that. Park. Yeah, that yes. was pretty cool. That so... will be a massive quality of life upgrade for New York because if you guys haven't been there... They rough it in New York, man. They they're playing on playground sidewalks with with cracks. They're chalking their lines. They're playing on beat up basketball courts. They're traveling on the subway with their portable nets. Like they, if you think you have it rough for pickleball, New York probably almost certainly has it more rough. So this will be a huge thing for them to have fourteen courts. But you want to read us the price, will? Yeah, the price for court rentals is 80 bucks per court per an hour. And I think that's in off-peak hours. Didn't it go as high as 120 during peak it hours? 120. I read it goes high as 120. Dude, that's crazy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You're going to rough I mean, it out now. <laughs> You're going to go to chalk up some stuff in a parking lot. <laughs> like, that's right, what I was going to say. I, I might go rough it because, I mean, I'm sure in New York, I know they're their expenses for living are more so they make more money yada 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 and minnesota is very spoiled but dude i don't know in what scenario i'd be willing to pay 120 dollars an hour with a group of friends to play pickleball on nice courts I, that's a lot of money yeah that is a lot i'd probably do if there's six of us you know and it's in central park or 
and i don't know i think the vibe would be kind of cool i would do it at least like once or twice oh, i mean I think i'm I sure i'd it. try it yeah i just don't think i could do it regularly oh yeah regularly i don't think so well at least you know they're getting something there better than the, what yeah. they have but Definitely. I, I also think that the price is telling of the demand right it's a yes. supply and demand thing right the demand of pickleball yep. in these cities and like in new york and yeah yeah you're spoiled you're from <laughs> minnesota minneapolis guys got courts everywhere heck yeah we got courts out the wazoo i actually i, I don't want to say it was a debate but i i posed someone posed a question in our local minnesota group they were upset that lifetime was you have to have a, a signature membership which is their highest membership to play open play pickleball uh as you know as well as other uh pickleball related things i believe otherwise i think you had to pay per court i don't know there was just anyways i've always i've been a signature membership so i haven't thought about it much but the signature membership here is about 180 to 200 dollars a month which is a lot of money don't get me wrong but when i factor in everything for me i'm like this is an absolute steal in the winter because I can book unlimited amounts of court reservation. There is no limit on how many courts I can book. I can book courts all day long if they're open. You have access to open play. You have access to the gym of Lifetime, all the other amenities that are related to Lifetime. I, I did my math for how many hours I roughly play a month, and it it comes down to like $5 every single time I go and play. Yeah. To me, that's dirt cheap. Yeah, all well, things considered. Yeah, compared to the hundred twenty dollars an hour you'd pay at peak time in, I guess, New York when these courts open up next month. Yeah, and it's not indoor. I don't have a gym after that, like a gym membership on top of that. I don't know. I, at least in my area, the lifetime membership I think is extremely reasonable for what it is. Because if I went to any of our facilities, I think peak hours, one of our facilities is about forty five dollars an hour. And then, you know, you split that four ways or whatever, still more than what I'm paying at Lifetime for the amount of hours that I'm playing. Obviously, if you play less, your cost goes up. But I don't know. Uh, the people in New York, dude, they're just built different. Like, they they clearly care about pickleball if they're going to pay those prices. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, people care about pickleball. It's still growing. Love to see it. Love to see it. But also, without yeah. its growing pains, I still see articles here and there about you know, neighborhoods and cities complain about the noise and yes. complain about pickleball players not respecting the uh, dedicated hours to play pickleball, etc. Yep. Do you think that if pickleball was quieter, like let's say the decibel levels of tennis, right, mm -hmm. 10 decibels lower, that yep. people would complain less? Like, and, and if so, how much less? Oh, definitely less. Dude, I walked into my lifetime the other day and I had to walk by the tennis courts and I'm, I'm watching people play doubles and, you know, they're all blasting balls back and forth. And it was maybe four or five courts. Dude, it's not even remotely close to the same level of sound. Everyone who has said on Facebook or other places that it's supposedly the same level of sound. There's just no way. There is no way. It is so much quieter. It's not even funny. I can barely hear this ball being hit. <laughs> and that's with four or five courts. One pickleball court is probably louder yeah agreed <laughs> i i hope the sound thing gets figured out because you know there is an article almost every week that's you know oh there's gonna be a lawsuit over this pickleball court and it's ours and blah 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 it's just 
it's tough. I'm glad I don't live in an area where that's an issue. We have one court by us where we had a tournament, and I'm sure they've complained other times, but technically the official start time is not till 8 a.m. If you go by the park rules, yeah. people don't follow that frequently. But one time they when the tournament, do. people were warming up at like 7.45 a.m. because it was a <laughs> tournament. So yeah. everyone's just trying to get ready. Dude, neighbor comes stomping across the street. And is like, I'm going to call the cops. If you guys don't wait until 8 a.m. to start. Damn. Yeah, so it's like, woof. That's the only time I have personally witnessed someone upset about the sound in person. Otherwise, I've only heard about it. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Well, all right. Well, well anyways. I mean, that's all I have. Well, I was just going to go back since we kind of, we just moved on right past my drilling, Will. Okay. The people, <laughs> the people need to know. All right. <laughs> what do they need so, to know what you're drilling? <laughs> just for everyone. So I have as of recently not drilled very often because i find that it, i've talked about it before but games are the most helpful for testing paddles and since i'm reviewing a paddle all the time it's just better to go play games but i have recently started forcing myself to drill not because i don't like it but just it's a time thing right well, my time money wise is probably better spent playing games i have essentially made it a part of my job if you know i run the business but i've essentially made it part of my uh, job description that i have to drill some number of hours or some number of times every week. So it's, you know, somewhere between two and three times a week, ideally 6 a.m., sometimes in the afternoon with my brother after work. And it's it's helped a lot, actually. I have found a, a better rhythm for drilling in the past. I would do a bunch of things. We would dink. We would do some hands. We would do some resets. We would do some drops. We would do some 7-Eleven. And I was never a huge fan of that because I never felt like I was getting to work on one specific thing it just kind of felt like a mishmash of everything lately with the people i've been drilling with it's much more focused we do maybe three things usually we always start off with dinking and that's been my thing recently after the last tournament i have just wanted to dink because my dinking was not great so i'm like i could hit dinks for an hour at this point and not even mind like genuinely i find it fun what would you be able to do that I don't know. You know me, and uh, I'm usually the one who's impatient. I'm usually one of the first ones to pull the trigger, to speed up, or <laughs> or do some or something ridiculous that is probably not <laughs> not advised. You know, to do trying some f weird fake me outs or whatnot, putting myself in awkward positions. You know, but that's what to, I find fun, and that's what I do. To make it even worse for you, Will, frequently how I play this. With people, if we start keeping track, usually we start warming up just to get the body warm, dinking, and then we start keeping track of points. The way I have played it with people is that you're only allowed to dink. Like you can't, if they pop it up, you can't even put it away. Oh you just gosh. have to keep dinking. So it's, okay. it's, you're forcing someone to make a dinking error. And now I don't think that that's the best way to play that game. I do think if a ball's high enough, you should probably punish them because that's what you would do in a, in a real game. But I have specifically wanted to just make my dinking better. And wow. it's a great way to make your dinking better. <laughs> you should do, to, to switch that up, if you do get a put away, you should add mm -hmm. a few cones or targets in the area. Like if you if you do decide to speed up or put something away, it has to hit one of these targets just to create some challenges for yourself. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, that's better than just, you know, you have an easy put away, put it anywhere on the court, basically. Exactly. And to reduce the monotony of just keeping dinking i was i thought you were about to say um i you were, you're were gonna say i play a little game in my head like can i bore you to death you know <laughs> i've met people who like think like that or who have like trained like that like i'm going to bore you 
to death so that you do something first and then sure. I just counter it. And I'm like, you know, that's actually pretty smart. You're the type of person that I don't like, but yeah, like <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with it. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I think if you're going to drill, it's much better to just do a couple things. So dinking has been a big thing for me this morning when I drilled, we did hands for, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes. And then after that, we did mid court resets where one person's at the net one person's in the midcourt, you pop up the first ball and then you just have to keep resetting until it's neutral. Then you intentionally pop it up again to keep it going. And I feel that in my games, I've just played much more consistent, like dinking feels better. Drops feel better. Just my game overall feels better now that I've been intentionally focusing on certain things. Cause one of the biggest ones for me too, has been uh shout out to James Ignatowicz for this one, but he might bounce too much. I don't bounce at all. So I have at the net, I've been much more specific about making sure my knees are bent like all the time. And then just, I actually try and bounce my feet like him, maybe not as much, but it's kind of just a reminder for me. Like, Hey, you you should be moving your feet. Like stop stretching for this dink where if you had just been more intentional about being ready and taking a step, you wouldn't have to stretch and reach. So it's kind of like my reminder to just keep moving, which is handy. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I should probably do that more too because you're trying to, it's it's really interesting in pickleball because they say, oh, you should be more steady, you should be more stable, but you also do need to be kind of proactive. And so I feel like it's two extremes, especially when you're playing pickleball. Yeah. You know, you need to be on your feet, you need to be, you need to have the blood flowing so you're ready for whatever comes at you because obviously if you're stationary, then maybe, you know, you're caught asleep and somebody speeds it up at you or you're not ready and then that's when mistakes happen but then also if you're moving way too much you're also prone to mistakes happening you know yeah and so finding sure. that balance is pretty tough uh in my recent play this weekend i've noticed that i like being more active and proactive but now i actually tend to stand at least when we are the receiving team and i'm not the one returning mm-hmm. i like to stand in the middle of the court sometimes even back at the baseline because you know when you're receiving usually one person's up at the no volley zone right i kind of like um sometimes changing that up because it gives you an opportunity to kind of move in look for poaches it's just easier to do does that make sense wait 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 hold up okay so if let's say it's you and me okay you're at the net and i'm receiving the ball Yep. You're saying you also want to be back? Yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no scenario where that makes yeah. sense. You put you're you're in the back. Maybe not behind the baseline, but kind of like in no man's land. Wait, what but that's you want to be at the net. Why would you want to be in no man's land? Like because it's easier to move forward because if you're sometimes people are hugging the no volley zone too much, right? And sure. then if they hit um, you know, obviously the the people who are doing the third shot, they tend to drop it or hit it away from the person who's already at the net, right? Yeah, yeah. So if I'm already at the if I'm already at the no volley zone, if I'm already at the kitchen line, it's hard to lunge laterally for a poach, right? If I'm like maybe two to three feet behind the kitchen line, right, I can still move laterally, but I can also move forward. It's just easier to move forward. And then you also have a little bit more time to kind of see, you know, where the ball is going and you can react accordingly. Sure. Okay. Two to three feet is much better than like mid court or further back. 
Yeah, I mean, I, try it. I could see a couple. I could see a couple feet off the line because it kind of lines up with what we've talked about for singles, where you want to split step. You know, maybe two feet, three feet off the kitchen line, so that way you split step and you can go forward into your volley. I could kind of see it for doubles. I still feel like I would lean towards that not being ideal, but I could see scenarios where maybe it's beneficial. Well, you and I will have to ask Jordan about that sometime and see what he thinks about that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll ask Jordan. We'll ask and see what Jordan thinks. Yeah, that would that would be fun. But yeah, I I would definitely, if you guys aren't drilling, find yourself a partner who's willing to drill with you. It's uh, It's very handy. I like hanging out with the people. It's been good. And honestly... When I get done with a drill session that early in the morning, my day already feels like a win. When you get up at 5 a.m. and you like work hard for two hours, when I get home, I feel amazing. Oh, you're pumped. <laughs> okay, you're pumped. Yeah, I'm like ready to work. I'm like, this, this feels really good. Should also, I'm just going to talk about this really quick. They're not a sponsor of this podcast, guys. But Zane's sponsor, More Than Energy... They sent me some drinks to try, and I was super skeptical of these things. I was like, I'm not an energy drink guy. I'm not a much of a drink anything kind of guy unless it's element. But so I get this thing. I try it. Tastes terrible. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> it's 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 bad. It does not taste good at all. So don't even go into this thinking it tastes remotely good because it doesn't. But the amount of energy I have, I took one this morning. Dude. I have I've had three now. First day, I wasn't sure how the effects were working. I thought maybe placebo. Second day, I was like, whoa, this is definitely working. My brain feels like it's moving so fast. Today, I can definitely tell it's working because I had great energy. I just got back from a road trip. I came back from Kansas. We drove back Sunday. We're recording on Monday. I woke up at 5 a.m. I should have been exhausted. I feel like I could go back and play pickleball again right now. Damn. I don't know. All, all, all this to say... That drink, it's very expensive, but if you're just looking for something that isn't caffeine, because I think it only has 50 milligrams of caffeine, so it's not much. I have had energy. I will probably have energy until about 6 p.m. or later tonight. It lasts a really long time. I'm still investigating all the ingredients to kind of feel like, is this something good? It seems like it, but I don't know a lot of them. Anyways, I just wanted to talk about that because... I have not had many things in my life where I go, wow, that actually made me feel very different. This makes me feel very good. You'll have wow, to try okay. it sometime. Well, it, okay. It must have been real good because you're talking about it. So, and Chris does yes. not like to talk about a lot of things that he does not like. So, it must exactly. be really good. Okay. That's people need to understand if I talk about something, it's because I really like it and I okay. really like this drink. <laughs> sponsorship incoming that would be nice as long as the ingredients and everything checks out i'm always skeptical with health drinks or drinks anything because it feels like the the regulations on those are kind of weird so i you know i don't want to drink something that isn't good for me but so far so far so good <laughs> oh you're drinking it and it turns out that they're peds and you get booted out of tournaments <laughs> <laughs> well you know zane's been talking about peds dude this drink might as well be a PED because the the second day I took it, my the way I was describing it is was like my brain was moving faster than everything around me. When I drilled, I felt like I couldn't miss. And then at my computer, my brain was moving so fast. It felt like I was thinking ahead of like faster than my body could move. I don't know. I went and took a typing test because it just felt like my fingers were fast. 145 <laughs> words a minute. Two times. 
Uh, oh, two times. No, two, two times. I took it twice two? to make sure it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> okay. So, dude, I don't know. That's the best way I can describe it. The joke that I told people was, I said, I'm hearing color and seeing sound right now. Dude, are you sure it was, you know, drink? are you sure there wasn't some like LSD or something in there? Dude. You better check those ingredients again. I can't. I, yeah, I got to I got to read everything. But holy cow, dude, it's crazy. The the way I described it to my wife was I have never taken Adderall, so I don't know what it actually is like. But this is what when people describe it, this is what I think Adderall is. Well, it's a good thing that you haven't taken Adderall because I don't think you need it knowing what I know about you and hanging out with you. I, like, I don't think you ever, never need Dude, Adderall ever. I think I could listen to videos at four times speed No, if I had Adderall. Yeah, I would question, you know, your humanity if you could do that. I'd be like, yo, he's definitely some sort of cyborg from an alternate universe. Yeah, I think I think people already think that of me, so we don't need to we don't need to encourage it further. <laughs> okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's pretty much everything I got. Will, do you have much else? No, that's all, man. Yeah, this is a good episode. If you guys enjoyed, make sure to leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you guys leave an interesting comment, we may read it on the next one. And make sure that if you listened on another platform that wasn't YouTube, head over to the YouTube comments and leave a comment with how many paddles you think I have. And the winner, the closest winner, will win a free 3.5 at best t-shirt. Wait, wait. I need to know if if, it, if there's a tie, like who wins? Yes. And does going over the number benefit you or lower like you know is this the price is right you know do you want just whoever's closer like if you were one over but you were the closest the next was two under i'll give it to the one over i'm not too worried about that just whoever's closest period will win and then time wise i should just be able to look at the comments i assume not enough of them are going to come in at equal times i can probably see the hour slot but if they are tied and i can't see the time no, YouTube will still tell me which comment was first. So basically, whoever was first. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Here you go, guys. There you go. Take it easy, guys. Thanks for listening. Later. Later.